Chapter Thirteen of Man and His Ancestor: A Study in Evolution. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. Man and His Ancestor: A Study in Evolution by Charles McLean Morris. Chapter Thirteen: Man's Relation to the Spiritual. The purpose of this work has been to trace the evolutionary origin of man in his ascent from the lower animal world to his full stature as the physical and intellectual monarch of the kingdom of life. But to round up this story of human evolution, it seemed necessary to consider man from the moral standpoint, and it now appears equally desirable to review his relations to the spiritual element of the universe. Having dealt with the development of man as a mortal being, we have now to regard him as a possibly immortal being. This outlook into the supreme domain of nature lifts us for the first time in our work definitely above the lower world of life. There is nothing to show that the animals below man have any conception of the spiritual. It is true that there are various statements on record which seem to indicate in some animals, the horse and the dog, for instance, a dread of unseen powers, a recognition of some element in nature which is invisible to the eyes of man. But what these facts indicate, what influences affect the rudimentary intellect of these animals in such instances, no one is able to say though some vague recognition of powers or existences beyond the visible may arise in their narrow minds it does not probably pass beyond the level of instinct and doubtless lies almost infinitely below man's conception of the spiritual in this stage of intellectual development then we have to do with a condition which seems to belong solely to man or has but a germinal existence in the lower organic kingdom in fact, primitive man may well have been as devoid of the conception of a realm of spirit as was his anthropoid ancestor. The lowest savages of today are almost, if not quite, lacking in such a conception, and are destitute of anything that can fairly be called religion. Where apparent religious ideas exist among them, we cannot be sure to what extent they have been infused by civilized visitors or how far ardent missionaries, in their anxiety to discover some trace of religion in savages, have themselves inadvertently suggested the beliefs which they triumphantly record. The pygmies of Africa, the negritos of Oceanica, and various debased tribes elsewhere, may possibly be quite destitute of native religious conceptions, at least of a higher grade than those which move the horse and dog to a dread of the unseen it should be borne in mind that these tribes have for thousands of years been in some degree of contact with more developed races and subject to educative influences and the crude religious conceptions which some travellers attribute to them may well have been derived not original 
Investigation in this field certainly gives us abundant warrant to believe that primitive man, on whose mind no influences of education could act, was destitute of religion, and that man's conception of the unseen arose gradually, as one important phase of the development of his intellect. Any attempt to trace the stages of this religious development is far beyond our purpose, even if we were capable of doing it. It must suffice to say that man everywhere, when he emerges into history as a semi-civilized being, is abundantly supplied with mythological and other religious conceptions which indicate a long preceding evolution in this field of thought. For extended ages, the realm of the unseen has been acting upon the mind of man, filling him with dread of malevolent and reverence for beneficent powers, inspiring him to acts of worship, peopling his imagined heavens with imagined deities, and giving rise to an extraordinary variety of deific tales and mythological ideas. The literature of this subject would fill a library in itself, and is almost abundant enough to supply one with reading for a lifetime. Yet it is largely, if not wholly, ideal. It is in great part based on false conceptions and misdirected imaginings. It rarely adduces evidence, and such evidence as is offered is always questionable. In short, scientific investigation and the critical pursuit of facts have taken no part in the development of religious systems, and a deep cloud of doubt envelops them all. It is by no means our purpose to seek to throw discredit on any of the great religions of the world. To say that they have been products of evolution is not to invalidate them. Much that is true and solid has arisen through evolution. To say that they lack scientific evidence is not to question their validity. Many of the subjects with which they deal lie beyond the reach of scientific evidence. Science has hitherto dealt strictly with the physical. It has made almost no effort to test the claims of the spiritual. In fact, the highest of these claims, that of the existence of a deity, must lie forever beyond its reach. God may exist, and science grope for him through eternity in vain. Finite facts can never gauge the infinite. Proofs and disproofs alike have been offered of the existence of an infinite deity, but the problem remains unsolved. None of these proofs or disproofs are positive. They all depend on ideal conceptions, and ideas are always open to question. Positive facts on either side of the argument are, and are always likely to be, wanting, and the belief in God must be based on other than scientific grounds. But when we come down to the lower levels of the domain of the spiritual, we find ourselves on firmer ground. Here we are dealing with the finite, not with the infinite and nothing that is finite can lie beyond the boundaries of investigation, however long it may take to reach it. The question of the existence of spirits, for instance, that much mooted problem of the immortality, or at least of the future existence of man, which forms so prominent an element in modern religion, dwells within the possible reach of science, and the attempt to deal with it by scientific evidence may reasonably be made. 
when we pass beyond the realm of the senses we find ourselves in a kingdom peopled by stupendous forms and forces space time matter energy and perhaps infinite consciousness all in their ultimate conditions too vast for the finite mind to grasp all presenting problems open to speculation but beyond the reach of demonstration but below these lie finite possibilities which the human mind may now be or may become capable of comprehending and prominent among these lies the problem just mentioned that of the existence of a spiritual substratum in man a soul which is capable of surviving the death of the body this is a subject with which all of us are deeply and intimately concerned and it may be well to close this volume with a brief glance at its status as a scientific question the belief in the immortality of man is comparatively modern in origin there is no satisfactory evidence that any such belief existed among the old jews or that it arose in palestine before the time of christ it arose at an earlier period in india and persia but everywhere it was late in its appearance as a well-defined doctrine yet while positive evidence is wanting there can be little doubt that crude and vaguely formulated ideas of the existence of man after death have been very long entertained the traditions of all peoples that have a faith above that of fetishism contain stories of the apparition of spirits of human origin and when we reach civilized peoples and more advanced religions we find these in abundance the annals of christendom are full of them they are equally abundant in the centres of other developed forms of faith if we could accept these legends of the emergence of spirits through the thin veil that separates time from eternity as established facts the problem would no longer need solution as it stands however the great mass of such narratives are utterly lacking in evidence of a character which science can admit they are bare unsustained statements thousands of which would be far outweighed by a single one fortified by demonstrated facts occasionally indeed the story of an apparition has been closely investigated and there are a few cases of this kind handed down from the past which seem reasonably well established but any statement coming from pre-scientific days is open to doubt methods of investigation then were not what they are now the dogma of the existence of spirit is too important a one to be accepted on any but incontrovertible evidence and the vast sum of statements of apparitions which have come to us from the past or from the non-scientific peoples of the present must be dismissed with the one verdict not proven there is one important fact however connected with the question of spiritual appearances which is worthy of some consideration it is a fixed rule in the history of opinions that beliefs founded on imagination or misconception have declined with the advance of enlightenment and many conceptions once strongly entertained have faded and vanished in the light of new thought or where retained have been so only by the ignorant and unreasoning 
it is of interest to find that this has not been the case with the belief in spiritual manifestations this has held its own to the present time and while it is largely sustained by the unintelligent and credulous it can claim a considerable body of intelligent adherents to-day even in the most enlightened nations this belief known as spiritism with the manifestations upon which it is founded lies open therefore to modern scientific investigation and this has been to some extent applied to it with in various instances rather startling results it is certainly of significance to find that a number of prominent scientists thoroughly skilled in the arts of investigation have attacked this problem with the purpose of annihilating it and have ended in becoming convinced of the truth of spiritism it may suffice to mention two of the most striking instances of this in the early days of the spiritist propaganda robert hare a famous chemist of philadelphia entered upon an investigation of the so-called spiritual phenomena with the declared purpose of proving them to be fraudulent his observations were long continued his tests varied and delicate and he ended by himself ardently adopting the belief he had set out to abolish somewhat later william crookes of london an equally famous chemist and physicist entered upon a similar investigation and with like results the tests applied by these men were strictly scientific and of the exhaustive character suggested by their long experience in chemical investigation and their conversion to the tenets of spiritism as a result of their experiments was a marked triumph to the advocates of the doctrine various others have admitted high intelligence who made a similar investigation and were similarly converted might be named two of the best known of these were judge edmonds of the circuit court of new york and alfred russell wallace of england who shared with darwin the honor of originating the theory of natural selection while these and others of scientific education were converted to spiritism many investigators came to an opposite conclusion while a similar negative result was reached in the investigations of several committees of scientists the latest and most persistent attempt to search into the reality of phenomena of this character has been that made by the london society for psychical research whose investigations have extended over years and have yielded numerous striking and suggestive results the most important conclusion at which the members of this society have so far arrived is the hypothesis of telepathy or the seeming power of one mind to influence the thoughts of another occasionally over long distances in a method that appears analogous to that of wireless telegraphy the evidences in favor of this doctrine are so numerous that it has been somewhat widely accepted and the title applied to it has come into general use it indicates if true remarkable powers in the mind of man capabilities that seem far to transcend those of the ordinary intellectual activities this is one side of the case the other side now calls for presentation 
This is that the great body of scientists utterly reject the theory of spiritism, and look upon its manifestations as due to fraud, misconception, credulity, or some other of the weaknesses to which human nature is liable. As regards the opinions arrived at by the prominent scientists mentioned, these men are looked upon by their fellows of the great scientific body as mentally warped, or as having allowed themselves to be victimized by impostors. The fact that Professor Crookes has continued one of the most acute and deep searching of investigators into the phenomena of physics, and that his results in this direction are accepted without question, and that Professor Wallace is acknowledged to be one of the leading thinkers of the day, has not sufficed to clear them of the doubt which rests upon their sanity or their critical judgment in this particular, and the very attempt of any one to investigate the so-called spiritual manifestations is widely looked upon as an evidence of credulity or some greater mental weakness. This result may seem singular, yet it is not without abundant warrant. It must be borne in mind that the phenomena in question differ essentially in character from those with which science is usually concerned. The field of scientific investigation is distinctly the material. The facts with which it deals are those apparent to the senses, or which can be tested by material instruments. Its discoveries are generally susceptible of but one interpretation its methods are capable of being indefinitely repeated and its results if justly interpreted are unvarying in character none of these postulates fully applies to the spiritistic investigation here the conditions differ the results vary the methods can rarely be exactly repeated conscious beings instead of unconscious instruments are the agents employed and the secret thoughts and purposes of such agents are very likely to vitiate the result and open a field of doubt which does not exist in the investigation of the inorganic world. This is one of the causes of the doubt of scientists. It is not the only or the chief cause. The latter is the fact that the claims of spiritism lift man into an entirely new domain of the universe, remove him from the great field of the material with which he is physically affiliated, and to which his senses are closely adapted, and place him in a region beyond the scope of the senses, a vast kingdom which is held to underlie or subtend the physical, and which the ordinary outlook of the scientist fails to perceive. It requires no strain of the imagination to admit the existence of a new constituent of the atmosphere. It requires a great strain to admit the existence of a new constituent of the universe, a vast spiritual substratum to the domain of matter. Religion, with its ideal tests, has long maintained this to be a fact. Science, with its rigid material tests, sternly questions it, and demands that the existence of an inhabited spiritual realm shall be incontestably proved by scientific evidence before it can be accepted. This demand is a reasonable one. The world is growing rapidly more scientific, and the old method of arriving at conclusions is daily losing strength. Beliefs based on ideal or imaginative postulates, once strong, are now weak. 
Faith founded on ancient authority is active still, but promises to become obsolete. The way of science is growing to be the way of the world, and in the time to come intelligent men will doubtless demand incontestable evidence of any fact which they are asked to accept. As regards the phenomena in question, however, it cannot be said that they have been fairly or fully investigated by scientists. They have been set down as the work of charlatans, and their apparent results ascribed to fraud, collusion, credulity, and mental obliquity in general. The fact that of the scientists who have exhaustively investigated the spiritistic phenomena, a considerable number have accepted them as valid, has had no effect upon scientists as a body, who, in this particular, occupy the position which they accuse non-scientists of maintaining, that of forming opinions without investigating phenomena. This attitude of the scientific world towards these problematical occurrences is quite comprehensible. Throughout the nineteenth century, the attention of scientists has been almost wholly directed toward the investigation of the forms and forces of matter, the phenomena and principles of the visible universe. In this they entered, at the opening of this century, upon an almost virgin field, which they have wrought with great diligence and with remarkable results. It is very possible, however, that in the twentieth century no such undivided allegiance will be given to the phenomena of matter, but that the attention of scientists will be largely diverted from the physical to the psychical field of investigation, which may prove to be a far broader and more intricate domain than we now have any conception of. Psychical phenomena have attracted some attention during the recent century. One by one, the problems of hypnotism, unconscious cerebration, double consciousness, telepathy, spiritism, and the like, all at first set down as unworthy of consideration, have forced themselves upon the attention of observers, and each of them has been found to present conditions amply worthy of investigation. This work has hitherto been performed by occasional individuals, but the number of workers in experimental psychics is steadily increasing, and their domain of research broadening and we may reasonably look forward to results approaching, perhaps exceeding, in interest those reached in material investigation. There is a whole world before us, that of the mind and its phenomena, fully equal in interest and importance to the world of matter, and presenting as numerous and difficult problems. Hitherto it has largely been dealt with from the ideal or metaphysical standpoint, only recently has it been subjected to physical analysis, and already with striking results. During the century before us, it is likely to attract a wide and active circle of investigators, with what results it is impossible to predict. This is the only way in which the problem of the existence or non-existence of a spiritual life can be solved to the satisfaction of those of a scientific turn of mind and this solution must be left to the future to attain. In the present work, we are concerned with man's past rather than his future. It is what man has come from, not what he is going to, that forms the subject of our inquiries. 
we have been led into these remarks simply as an outcome of a brief consideration of man's relations to the spiritual element of the universe and may close our work with the suggestion that the problem of human evolution may be immensely greater than that involved in the study of the ancestry of man end of chapter thirteen end of man and his ancestor a study in evolution by Charles McLean Morris.